2: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters four, five, and six of Insurgent. Where we left off, they went to the Amity compound and Amity were like, okay, to avoid conflict, you can hang out here, but you can't fight and we're going to make some neutrality offer to the rest of the factions and they can send their faction refugees here if they want, blah, blah, fucking blah. It's never going to work out. And then Marcus, he's been running off to have some private chats with that scarred lady that is in charge of Amity. Well, she's the Amity spokesperson or whatever. And Triss has been eavesdropping. Nah, that's basically all that's happened so far. So we start chapter four with Caleb just talking Triss's ear off about some sort of bullshit biotechnology thing that he's reading about. You know how he's erudite, so he likes to read books. And apparently he also likes to mansplain because he's like, oh, biotechnology has been around for a long time, but it wasn't always very effective. And Triss is like, uh-huh. And they're eating breakfast while he's droning on. And Tris could not give a shit. And he's saying erudite scientists developed this highly effective mineral solution a while back. It was better for the plants than dirt. Uh, like, uh, he's talking about irrigation or something. Uh, no one cares. And Triss isn't interested, but she's just indulging him because it's her brother and their parents are dead, so she feels bad for him. So she says, oh yeah, so Erudite and Emity, they work together, do they? And he says, yes, more closely than Erudite and any other faction. Which is interesting because it did seem like Erudite and Dauntless were working pretty closely together as well. So I guess Erudite have their fingers in lots of different pies. And Caleb says, don't you remember from our faction history book? It called them the essential factions. Without them, we would be incapable of survival. So apparently Erudite and Emity are the two essential factions. I thought every faction was valuable and had their own roles that they performed. If you're fully dependent on one or two factions for the livelihood and sustainability of your society, maybe you shouldn't segregate people. Maybe don't put all the smart people in one bunch because when you lose them, you're fucked. Maybe spread them out a bit. And Tris is thinking about how she hates the erudite, but they are essential. Without them, there would be inefficient farming, insufficient medical treatments, and no technological advance. Because of course, someone who's dauntless or abnegation or candor, they can't think. It would be impossible to hand someone from candor a book and say, hey, figure out how farming works. They wouldn't be able to do it. And candor just seems like the most useless faction. What, what are they contributing to society? They, they know the truth, They can spot a liar like, okay, so that works in what law enforcement. And then what then? And then, okay, this is this is a little bit of a nugget of foreshadowing. Caleb says, oh, you're not going to eat your toast. And she says the bread tastes strange. You can have it if you want. And that's all. But just remember that little interaction. So then Caleb says, so I take it Amity wasn't one of the factions you had an aptitude for. Did we know that Caleb knew that she was divergent? I'm guessing it must've come up at the end of the last book, but I can't remember it. So I don't know when he was told. I thought she was trying to have a secret identity and not tell people she's divergent, but everybody knows. So she tells him, I was apt for abnegation, dauntless and erudite. And he's like, whoa, three factions, hey? That's a lot. He says, we each had to choose a research focus in erudite initiation. And mine was the aptitude test simulation. God, why he picked that, I'm not too sure because what a dry initiation course that must have been. God, it must have been boring. Of all the things he could have studied and he's studying the aptitude test, like, oh God. At least with Triss's initiation, she got to beat people up and play paintball, but the erudite initiation, God, it seems like such a boring slog. He says it's really difficult for a person to get two results. The program actually doesn't allow it, but to get three... He's not sure how that's possible." And she says, "Well, the test administrator had to alter the test. She forced it so that the situation on the bus could rule out erudite, except erudite wasn't ruled out, whatever. And Caleb's like, "Of course, a program override. But I wonder how your test administrator knew how to do that. It's not really something that they're taught." And Tris is thinking like, "Oh, that's a good point. Tori was just a tattoo artist. And she just did freelance aptitude test work every year. So how did she know how to do that? And then she's like, oh, wait a minute. She transferred from Erudite to Dauntless. And she says, well, she was an Erudite. She was a faction transfer. So maybe that's how. And Caleb's like, yeah, maybe That, that sounds about right. And they just gloss over it from that point on. But I'm like, no, no, it doesn't really make sense still. Like you're telling us that she would have known how to override the program for the aptitude test because she grew up in Erudite and then left when she was like 16. So they teach teenagers how to do program overrides at Erudite. I don't know if that's on the school schedule, especially because they all go to school together. All the factions are intermingled at school. So they're not getting separate lessons. I don't know how she's picking up so many skills when she's leaving at 16. Ah. And so then Caleb's quizzing her on her brain chemistry and how she gets out of the simulations. And Caleb's just been a bit of a space cadet. He's lost in thought, thinking about Triss's brain chemistry or whatever. But then a group of abnegation come into the cafeteria and she says they wear amity clothes like me, but it's obvious what faction they're really in because they're silent and they're walking around like they're selfless or something. I guess that's the defining factor. And so Susan's there, and she's sitting next to Caleb, and she says they're sitting slightly closer than friends would. So woohoo! That's like what's before first base. That's like half base when you're sitting close, but closer than friends would. They're like elbows are brushing together. So I think that's like abnegation foreplay. And so Caleb and Susan start making small talk, and Trish is like, "Well, this is boring," and she's about to leave, but then Tobias comes in, and he looks harassed. And she says, oh, he must have been working in the kitchen this morning. As part of our agreement with the Amity, I have to do work in the laundry rooms tomorrow. And she's like complaining, but you know what? No, carry your weight. You're sitting there eating free food. You're expecting everyone else to clean your clothes and wash your dishes? No, contribute. But four, he's not having it. He's like, oh, if we stay here much longer, I'm going to punch someone and it's not going to be pretty. I don't know if you can punch someone and have it be pretty, so... Okay. And Tris thinks, oh, it must have something to do with Marcus. That's why he's a bit upset. And she also says Tobias doesn't like the dubious looks the abnegation give him when he refers to Marcus's cruelty. And Susan is sitting right across from him. So that must be why he's not bringing up Marcus. So it's something to do with Marcus. Okay. A confusing way to phrase that for us, but okay. And then she says, Tobias goes completely still when a hand falls on her right shoulder, sending prickles of pain down her right arm. So uh, again, like, why, why are we getting Tobias's first reaction rather than your reaction? Something happens to her and she says, Tobias goes still. Like, I uh, it's just, just weird sentence structure going on here. But it's Marcus putting a hand on her shoulder. And obviously that hurts because she was shot in that shoulder. And Tobias says, hey. She got shot in that shoulder. And Marcus is like, oops, my bad. And he lifts his hand off. And I'm like, Marcus, you knew. You were there, Marcus. You're an asshole, dude. And so Tris is like, what do you want? <laughs> and Susan, she's like, Beatrice, um, what's your tone? And Caleb's like, Susan, shut up. <laughs> no one's got any time for Susan. And then Tris says to Marcus, I asked you a question. And he says, I would like to discuss something with you. He says the other Abnegation and myself have discussed it and decided that we should not stay here. We believe that given the inevitability of further conflict, it would be selfish of us to stay here while what remains of our faction is inside that fence. We would like you to escort us out. Fair enough, I guess, but do we know that there are any Abnegation people still alive inside the fence? I feel like a lot of them got killed. But maybe there's a bunch that survived once the simulation serum stopped. We don't know. But Triss is immediately suspicious. She's thinking, is it really about the other abnegation people? Or does it have something to do with whatever information that he has? And maybe he's up to some tricks. And she looks over at Tobias and she says, Tobias has relaxed a little, but he keeps his eyes focused on the table. I don't know why he acts this way around his father. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't know why he acts? The- he's, he was abused, Tris. You went into his fearscape and you saw it. You lived it. Oh, I don't know why he acts this way around his father. Get your head out of your own ass and have some empathy, Jesus. And Tobias says, okay, well, let's leave the day after tomorrow. And if I was Tris, I'd be like, well, you know what? Let's just leave tomorrow then because I don't wanna have to go to the laundry room. But no, they're leaving the day after tomorrow. And then Marcus goes to sit at the other end of the table with the rest of the abnegation people and Trish just keeps an eye on him. And she says, I wanna know more about what he said to Joanna. And sometimes if you want the truth, you have to demand it. And that's the end of that chapter. So we start chapter five and she's saying, after breakfast, I tell Tobias I'm going for a walk. But instead she's really following Marcus. And Marcus walks into the water filtration building. And so she gets to the door of that building and she's like, oh, do I go in? Do I not go in? But then she goes in, she says the filtration building is small, just one room with a few huge machines in it. So can, can the room be that small if there's a few huge machines in it? Or are the machines not that huge because the room's small? That doesn't add up to me. A small room with huge machines must be a big room then. Oh, and then she tells us this giant paragraph about what the water filtration building does. She says, as far as I can tell, some of the machines take in dirty water, blah, blah, blah. A few of them purify it. Some of the other machines test it. And then one machine, oh, it pumps clean water back out to the compound. The, the piping systems are all buried except one, which runs along the ground to send water to the power plant near the fence. The plant provides power to the entire city using a combination of wind, water, and solar energy. As far as she can tell. She started that paragraph acting like, oh, I don't really know much about the water filtration system. And then she told us everything about the water filtration system. As far as I can tell. She says, Marcus stands near the machines that filter the water. The pipes are transparent. <sighs> okay. And Marcus is just standing there watching the water purification process happen. And she's just in the room behind him and he hasn't noticed yet. What's he doing there? He's just standing there watching the water get filtered. That's suspicious. And she's just stand- standing behind him, not saying anything yet. And they're both standing there awkwardly. And then finally she says, I heard you the other day. And Marcus is like, oh, hey, hey, Tris, what's up? (laughs) How'd you get in here? He didn't hear the door shut or anything, but he's like, oh, hey, hey, Tris. And she says, I followed you here. And like, yeah, okay. I I don't know if that is as impactful as you think it is. Like, okay, yeah. It's not a coincidence that you're here. And then she says, I heard you talking to Joanna about what motivated Janine's attack on abnegation that's some stilted dialogue. I heard you talking to Joanna about what motivated Janine's attack on abnegation. Like, can you not just phrase that a bit more punchier? And Marcus is like, oh, this bitch. And he says, did the Dauntless teach you that it's all right to invade another person's privacy? Or did you teach yourself? And she says, I'm a naturally curious person. Don't change the subject. I don't know if she is that curious, is she? She's never really seemed that curious to me. He says, if you heard me talking to Joanna, then you know that I didn't even tell her about this. So like, what makes you think that I would share the information with you? Which is a great point. Marcus, for being surprised, has been quite quick on his feet and just like naturally defending himself. I mean, he's an asshole, but he's like, hey, Tris, if you're gonna come at me, come at me a bit harder than that, babe. Like, if you've eavesdropped on my conversation, then you already know everything. So like, back off. And she says, well, my father's dead, so that's why I want to know. And then when she said the word dead, it, <laughs> it it, hits her that her dad's actually dead. She says, oh, when I told Tobias on the train that my dad had died, died was a word that was just a fact detached from emotion. But dead, it strikes a blow-like hammer to my chest, that word dead. It's like, okay, died and dead are sort of the same thing. Whatever way you cut it, your dad's dead. Like, I, I don't see the difference here. And she says, he may not have actually died for whatever information you were referring to, but I want to know if it was something he risked his life for. And Marcus is like, yeah, it was. (laughs) And she starts crying and she's like, well, okay. Um, do you want to elaborate? Was it something you're trying to protect or steal or what? And he's like, oh God, Tris, I'm not telling you. But she's still sort of pushing for the answer and she brings up Janine and she says that maybe she could help against Janine, maybe. It's a bit unclear. But Marcus shoots that down. He says, you have no idea how ridiculous that sounds. You may have succeeded in shutting down the attack simulation, girl, but it was by luck alone, not skill. I would die of shock if you managed to do anything useful again for a long time. Talk about sassy. I would die of shock if you did anything useful. Like, oof, that's harsh. The library is open because reading is fundamental. He just read her to filth. And she says, this is the Marcus that Tobias knows, the one who knows right where to hit to cause the most damage. Well, okay, yeah, but Marcus also physically abused Tobias, like with a belt strap and everything. So it's a bit different. I wouldn't go back to Tobias and compare your war stories because all he did was say that he would die of shock if you did anything useful, which is harsh. It's harsh, but it's a it's a bit different to the physical attacks. But yeah, sure. And Trish says, Tobias is right about you. You're nothing but an arrogant lying piece of garbage. And Marcus is like, "Ah, oh, okay. Did Tobias say that, did he? <laughs> and she says, well, no. <laughs> he doesn't mention you enough to say anything like that. I figured it out all on my own. And Marcus just turns his back on her and looks back at the water purifier. <laughs> just not really given a much reaction at all. And she's standing there in triumph. And I'm like, "You you haven't won. You had one good little clap back calling him a piece of garbage, but you didn't really get what you came in here for. And then she leaves the building. She just leaves. And then she's like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't actually find out anything. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you didn't. Also, why was Marcus just standing in the water filtration building? Are we ever going to circle back to that? We're never going to resolve that mystery. I don't know. Because then she says that night I had a dream. She was In a field, there was a flock of crows. Oh, there's always a flock of fucking crows in her dreams, aren't there? (sighs) Anyway, the flock of crows, they're pecking at a dead body and she swats them away and, oh, it's Will. Will's the dead body. So she still feels guilty about killing Will when she could have just shot him in the hand. So, okay, that's good. And she's got full PTSD about it, really. She's gasping for breath. She's sobbing. She's really having a huge freak out. So she gets out of bed and she creeps down the hallway towards Tobias's room and she just lets herself in. She opens his door and she opens it loud enough that it wakes him up. And he's like, (laughs) and then he's like, okay, come here. And he shifts over to make room for her on the bed. And then Triss is like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not wearing pants. She says, I sleep in a long t-shirt. One of the Amity lent me. She's always telling us that the clothes are borrowed. And it's like, we know. We know you didn't pack an overnight bag when you fled dauntless and you jumped on a train while you were bleeding out from a gunshot wound and you were seeking refuge in Emity. We know you didn't pack a long sleeping shirt. You didn't pack PJs. So she's always got to tell us, oh, I borrowed this from Emity. Yeah, we, we figured. But yeah, so the point of the matter is the shirt, it comes down just past her butt, but then she's bare legged and she's like, oh, maybe I should have put on a pair of shorts before I visited my boyfriend in the middle of the night. And I'm like, okay, I know what you're doing here, Tris. You're acting like it's an accident, but I don't think it's any accident because then she hops in bed with him. And of course, one thing leads to the other. I mean, they talk for a little bit about her having a bad dream or whatever. But then next thing you know, they're kissing. And then she says, his hand starts on my cheek. And I'm like, okay, which cheek? Are we talking face cheeks or butt cheeks? Because then she says the hand's moving around to the bend in her waist curving over her hip, sliding to her bare leg.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
2: I I think his hand is wandering quite a bit. And then the hand slips under the hem of the t-shirt and she says, I don't stop him though. I know I should. So I don't, I don't know where his hand is going, but it's, it's all over the joint. And she says her shirt's creeping up her body, but she's not even pulling it down. So, okay. It's actually getting really hot and heavy. I'm a bit surprised. His hands are all over the place. He's kissing her neck. She's kissing back. She's I don't know. She's twisted all around him. And then he does bump her shoulder and she does feel a bit of pain because she was shot in that shoulder. And then that sort of takes her out of the moment. So I don't know how far they were going to go if he didn't bump into her gunshot wound, but uh, certainly heading in that direction. I thought we were moments away from a fingering. So she pulls off, she pulls the shirt back down and they're lying next to each other silently for a little bit, just breathing. And then she's crying. She's sobbing. And so she's like, oh, sorry, I'm crying. And he's like, "Ah, oh, don't worry about it. And she's, I think, still crying more about Will than she is anything else. But he's like, yeah, your parents, it's, it's really upsetting what happened to them. I know they're in a better place now, but they should still be here with you. It's wrong what happened. It shouldn't have happened to you. And he's just really trying to comfort her. But in her head, she's like, I killed Will. <laughs> and then he says, sleep, I'll fight the bad dreams off if they come to get you. And she says, with what? And he says, my bare hands, obviously, which I, th- I think they're joking because you can't actually fight off a bad dream with just your bare hands or any weapon. So I don't know why she was asking him to clarify how he'll be fighting off the bad dreams. Clearly it was just a an expression. So then she takes a big whiff of his shoulder and just thinks that he smells like sweat and fresh air and mint. I, I, I know. I don't think you can smell like sweat and fresh air and mint. Like if you smell like sweat, you smell like sweat. You don't also smell fresh. And then she says he also smells safe, like sunlit walks in the orchard and silent breakfasts in the dining hall. I don't I don't think safe is a smell. But she's drifting off to sleep and he says I love you, and she falls asleep without saying it back. And that's the end of the chapter, then we go to chapter six. She says that morning she's woken up by the buzz of an electric razor because Tobias is just standing in front of the mirror, and Tobias is just shaving his beard, just I guess trying to wake her up. Because if you're using an electric razor in the morning, that's sort of a signal to the person that's sleeping in being like, okay, it's time to get up. Like if he wanted her to sleep in, he wouldn't have been using an electric razor, like going zzz. So yeah, I think he was secretly being like, get up, bitch, get out of my room. Oh, he's like, fine, sleep in. I'm not going to delay my day. I'm going to get a head start on my grooming ritual, no matter your sleep schedule. But eventually she's like, oh, I'd better get up. And she says, I'm supposed to work in the laundry. I don't want the Amity to say I'm not fulfilling my part of the deal that they offered us. And I was like, well, you're leaving tomorrow, right? So maybe it doesn't really matter if you skip out on laundry for one day. Like, what do they care? What do you care? It's like, if you're changing jobs, that last two weeks after you've given notice at your job, you're like, you're not really doing the work, right? We all know that. So if I were her, I'd be skipping out on laundry duty for sure. So a few moments later, she's walking down the hallway back to her bedroom. She's in her shirt that she slept in and a pair of shorts that Tobias borrowed from the Amity. W- yes, we know. She's always telling us clothes are borrowed. We know they're borrowed. Ah, oh, every single time. Oh, but when she gets back to the bedroom, Peter's in there and he's standing next to her bed. And she's like, fucking Peter, what's he doing here? Remember, Peter is the guy that stabbed that guy in the eye and then tried to throw her into the chasm and then slammed her against the wall in the dauntless compound. he's, He's a piece of shit of a person. So she's obviously a bit like, what the hell? And she's like, what are you doing in my room? And he says, well, what are you doing stalking Marcus? I saw you after breakfast yesterday. And she says, well, that's none of your business. And he says, well, I'm here because I don't know why you get to keep track of that hard drive. It's not like you're particularly stable these days. He does kind of have a point. She's not very stable, but she says, I'm unstable. I find that a little funny coming from you. And yeah, he's, he's a psychotic asshole, but I think he is a smidge more stable than you just at this current point in time. And she says, well, why are you so interested in the hard drive anyway? And he says, I'm not stupid. I know it contains more than the simulation data. Like, oh, can we just stop with the whole hard drive and simulation data? All these buzzwords that mean nothing. And she says, you think if you deliver it to the erudite, they'll forgive your indiscretion and let you back in their good graces. And he says, I don't want to be in their good graces. If I had, I wouldn't have helped you in the dauntless compound. And she says, you helped me because you didn't want me to shoot you again. And he says, I may not be an abnegation loving faction trader, but no one gets to control me, especially not the erudite. And I'm like, okay, this dialogue's all fun and all, but can we, can we get to throwing hands? Let's spice up this conflict a little bit. And so she's moving around and she stands between him and the dresser, which is where she hid the hard drive. And I think by moving around to stand in between Peter and the thing that he's trying to find, like you're pretty much signaling where you hit it. Also, he probably would have figured that out already because where else can you hide it in that bedroom with one dresser and one bed? Like, I think it would have taken him all of three seconds to find it, quite frankly, Tris. But she says, I'm not going to reveal the hard drive's location by getting it out while he's in here, but I don't want to leave the path to it clear either. Again, I think you pretty much just shone a light on the path to it by standing there, but whatever. But it turns out, she's too late anyway, because she notices a bulge in one of his pockets. Okay. Oh, okay. And okay. Her mind straight away says, oh my God, the hard drive is in his pockets. And I I hope, I hope so. Because I often notice bulges in pockets as well, but for very different reasons. And the thing that's creating the bulge is it's, it's very different to a hard drive. I don't know why she's... Looking down at Peter's crutch, but uh, uh okay. Anyway, she's realised that he's got the hard drive in his pocket. And she says, Give it to me, or so help me, I will kill you in your sleep. And then he's like, Ha ha ha, if only you could see how ridiculous you look when you threaten people. Like a little girl telling me she's going to strangle me with her jump rope. Okay, fuck off, Peter, she shot you. You have a bullet wound from her shooting you, so I think maybe you should dial down the sexism. She's more than capable of beating you up. Like she graduated at the top of the Dauntless class. Give her some credit. And she says, don't call me little girl. And he says, I'll call you whatever I want. Okay, Peter, you've got the hard drive. Get the fuck out of there. What are you doing just hanging around having a chat? So she jerks into action. She punches him in the bullet wound in his arm. Then she's wrenching the arm. Peter's screaming at the top of his lungs. And then she's kicking him hard in the knee and he falls to the ground. And then she says, People rush into the hallway wearing gray and black and yellow and red. Oh God. Yeah, they're wearing clothes, clothes of certain colors. Like, she's always telling us what people are wearing. And it's like, I know, I know that different factions have different clothes, but you've already established that the Emity have lent people clothes. So, so it doesn't really matter who's wearing yellow at this point. So then, Pete is lunging towards her. He punches her in the stomach. They're elbowing each other in the face. And then one of the Emity grabs her and pulls her off of Peter. And then Tobias is there and he's like, calm down, Tris, calm down. And she says, he has the hard drive. He stole it from me. He has it. Each of those sentences, all three of them with an exclamation mark. Veronica Roth, she loves an exclamation. So then Tobias walks over and just (laughs) steps on Peter's rib cage (laughs) and then goes into his pocket and pulls out the hard drive. And then he says to Peter, we won't be in a safe house forever. And this wasn't very smart of you. And then he turns to Tris and he says, not very smart of you either. Do you want to get us kicked out? And it's like, okay, you guys are leaving tomorrow anyway. Who cares if you get kicked out? Go out in a place of glory. Like uh, you're leaving tomorrow. <laughs> And then she's being pulled out of the room by this Amity guy. And she's like, what are you doing? Let go of me, exclamation mark. And he says, you violated the terms of our peace agreement. We must follow protocol. And Tobias is like, oh, just go. You need to calm down. So Tobias is off Tris. He is off her. And so the Amity drag her to a room that's labeled conflict room. And she's like, oh God, what is this? A timeout or something. And she's like classic Amity, always putting people in timeouts, and it's not a timeout room. So they make her sit in a chair, and she's like, Alright, I won't do it again. Jeez, calm down. And they say we have to follow protocol. Please sit and we'll discuss what happened, and then we'll let you go. And then she looks behind her and the old man's fumbling with something on the counter and she's like, What are you doing? And he's like, I'm making tea and she goes, I don't really think tea is the solution to this. And it's like, oh God, Tris, they're not making tea. They're about to dope you up. Can you have a bit of spatial awareness, and not just trust someone blindly when they say they're making a cup of tea. They're not making cups of tea, Tris. And so the other guy, he says, what do you believe the solution is? And she says, throw Peter out of the compound. And this guy says, well, it seems to me that you are the one who attacked him. Okay, how do you know that? And then he says, indeed, you are the one who shot him in the arm previously. Also, the rules were very clear. If one person gets in a fight, the other person also gets kicked out anyone involved with fighting gets removed from the compound. So I don't know why this guy's standing up for Peter of all people. And Triss is like, well, actually, since you didn't ask, but Peter stabbed someone in the eye with a butter knife. How about that? And then they shoot her up in the neck with some needle full of serum <laughs> because obviously they weren't making a cup of tea. Did you hear a kettle boiling, Tris? No, you didn't. So the old man's holding a syringe and he says, sorry, dear, we're just following protocol. And there's dark spots in front of her eyes and she can see a drop in the needle and it's bright green, the color of grass. Okay, thank you for explaining what bright green is. Why did she just elaborate on the color green for it? Okay, mind. And so then the guy's like, well, how do you feel? And she's like, I feel, and she thinks angry. And then she's like, wait a minute, I'm not angry. And she says, I feel good kind of feel like I'm floating or swaying. How do you feel by the way? So she's been doped up with like MDMA or something because she is really off her rocker. She is just happy and connected to the world. And I th- I think it was an Ecstasy tablet or something. And they say oh you might be a bit dizzy for the rest of the day, just you know, go and rest. And she's like, "Thanks guys. She says, "Oh, can you tell me where to find Tobias for? I mean, he's so handsome, isn't he?" Oh, I don't really know why he likes me so much. I'm not very nice, am I? And the guy's like, no, you're not actually, but you could be nice if you tried a bit harder. And she goes, oh, thank you. That is so nice of you to say. So I, I get that they've injected her with like a happy serum. I don't know why that's resulted in her just not having any filter and just saying whatever she thinks. But the needle has completely altered her brain chemistry. She's thinking about how silly the fight was. She's like, oh, God why do people fight? Caresses are so much nicer. Maybe I should have just run my hand along Peter's arm instead. That would have felt better for both of us. And my knuckles wouldn't ache right now. She's on pingers. She, she is pinging out of her brain. So then she's stumbling down the hallway, trying to find fall because he's in the orchard or whatever. And she's clumsy and she's giggling at how clumsy she is. And she's outside and the trees seem greener. And she says, oh, the trees are so green, I can almost taste it. And then she's like, maybe I can taste it. And then she's thinking about how she wants to eat grass. She's full doped up. And then she says, four. And then she thinks, why am I calling out a number? And then she's like, oh yeah, his name is four. That's hilarious. So then she finds four. She goes to kiss him and he's like, what, what's going on here? He's like, what, what are you doing? You are acting like a lunatic. And she says, they put me in a good mood, that's all. And now I just want to kiss you, so just relax. And he says, I'm not going to kiss you. I'm going to figure out what's going on. And then she says, I pout my lower lip for a second, but then I grin as the pieces come together in my mind. Okay, (laughs) can you pout with an upper lip? I don't know if she needed to specify that she's pouting with her lower lip. Just there's so many extra words in this book than necessary. And she says, oh, you like me because you're not very nice either at all. It makes so much sense. And he's like, okay, bitch, we're gonna go see Joanna. This is ridiculous. And she's like, okay, la-da-dee, la-da-da. And he's like, oh God, I'm gonna carry you. So he picks her up and he starts walking to Joanna's office. I guess he knows where Joanna's office is because he finds it pretty quickly. So they barge in on Joanna. She's just sitting there trying to do some paperwork and her hair is covering the left side of her face because, you know, she's horribly disfigured and probably self-conscious about it. And then Tris says, you really shouldn't cover up your scar. You look prettier with your hair out of your face. Like, okay, Tris, I don't care how doped up you are. Like, have some boundaries. Don't comment on other people's physical appearances, especially when it's about their scars. Like, again, if they've doped her up with happy juice, I don't know why that's made her so honest. And Tobias is like, what the hell did you do to her? And is like, hmm. They must have given her too much. She's pretty small, so they probably didn't take her height and weight into account. And he's like, too much of what? And she says, oh, um, peace serum. Like, duh. She says, in small doses, it has a mild calming effect and improves the mood. The only side effect is some slight dizziness. She says, we administer it to the members of our community who have trouble keeping the peace. So, if this is a common practice, I don't know how they fucked up the dosage so badly. Sounds like they had a needle big enough to knock out a horse, even though she's so small and light. They didn't they didn't think to alter the dose, God, there's some dummies in Amity. This is why they need erudite to keep them alive. Can't even figure out how to dose up a bitch. And Tobias is like, well, actually, every member of your community probably has trouble keeping the peace because they're human. Uh, you're probably dumping it into the water supply. And Joanna's like, ha ha ha, um and she doesn't respond straight away, so there's a hint that she is micro-dosing the whole of Amity. And I was thinking, well, if if they have been dosing up the water supply, maybe that explains why Marcus was sneaking into the water filtration room. But we still don't get an explanation of why Marcus was there. But Joanna fobs it off and she says, well, obviously that's not the case because there was just a war happening. So we haven't really been dumping it into the water supply throughout the whole city. Like, clearly, clearly... Maybe if they did, we wouldn't have had a bloodbath at the end of the last book, but yeah. But she does say, if I could give the serum to everyone in the city, I would. She says, you would certainly not be in the situation you are in now if I had. And Tobias is like, ugh, drugging the entire population is the best solution to our problem. Great plan. Just being awful sarcastic. I mean, yeah, it's kind of not the worst plan. I mean, if my water supply was laced with a little bit of happy juice. I I don't know if I'd hate it. Maybe it's sort of like fluoride, you know, that's in our tap water now because it's good for our teeth. And we're all like, yeah, they're, they're doping us up with fluoride and we've accepted that. If the Australian government announced tomorrow that they'll put in CBD oil in our drinking water, maybe I'd be like, you know what? Just a smidge mightn't hurt. I, I, I'm, I'm up for it. But Joanna says, okay, well, sorry that we doped up Triss a bit too much, but she did violate the terms of our agreement. And I'm afraid you might not be able to stay here much longer as a result. This conflict between her and Peter, it's not something we can forget. And Tobias is like, yeah, don't worry. We're leaving soon anyway. And Joanna says, great. Peace between Amity and Dauntless can only happen when we maintain our distance from each other. And Tobias is like, well, that does explain a lot considering you under a pretense of neutrality left us to die at the hands of the erudite. And then Joanna starts to say, well, it's for the sake of peace that we remain uninvolved, blah, blah, blah. And then Four's like, I've had enough of that peace, please pull the other one. He says, I'm sure it will be very peaceful when we are all either dead or cowering in submission under the threat of mind control or stuck in an endless simulation. And she says, oh God, it." The decision was not mine to make for. If it was, perhaps we would be having a different conversation right now. She says, it's not my place to disagree with my faction publicly, but I might in the privacy of my own heart. And Tobias says, well, Tris and I will be gone in two days. I hope your faction doesn't change their decision to make this compound a safe house. Two days? They'll be gone in two days? You'll be gone tomorrow. Yesterday, you said you'd leave the day after tomorrow. Today's tomorrow. So tomorrow is the day after tomorrow. I think Veronica forgot that there was a whole other day that she's written. Has Veronica lost track of the timeline? I think she might have because that's that's incorrect. And Joanna says, okay, whatever. And then she says, well, what about Peter? And he says, you'll have to deal with him separately because he won't be coming with us. It's like, yeah, he should be kicked out as well. The rules were very clear. So they go to leave. And then when they do, she says, oh, for if you and your friends would like to remain untouched by our serum, you may want to avoid the bread, <gasps> the bread. She's dosing up the bread. That's why Caleb was so space cadet at that conversation at breakfast yesterday, because they're micro dosing the bread. This is why you should avoid carbs. You can't trust them. Then she says, Tobias says, thank you over his shoulder as we make our way down the hallway together, me skipping every other step. And that's the end of the chapter. So I wonder how long Triss is going to be this doped up little pothead because she's, she was very insufferable in that chapter. I skipped over a lot of it, but she's, she was doing a lot of thinking and smiling and whinging and oh, it was, it was a lot, but I'm keen for them to leave the Amity compound. I think we need to we need to leave the compound. It's been a few too many chapters in the compound. Let's get it moving. Let's get to steppin'. And I'll see you guys next week for wherever the plot may take us. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks.